1: That's BlueNile.com.
0: Girl, real talk. This whole it's new year, time to reinvent myself trash is not the vibe for 2024. You can find someone who loves you for you as you are. You don't need to read a stack of self-help books, only eat sad salads, or like start meditating at five a.m. to be ready for dating. So, yeah, my advice is to download Bumble and find someone who embraces you the way you are right now. Let me know how it goes.
1: There's a part of me that will always dream of the revolution. That it will always be a believer. I don't know if that's ever going to go away. Maybe it shouldn't go away. But the um, sort of the scientific communism that I grew up with was I, you know, these this is inevitable, this is what's gonna happen, et cetera, et cetera. That I have dispensed with. But the idea that there are classes, some people are getting fucked over, those seem to be um hard and fast truths.
0: I'm Jordan Kissner, author of the essay collection Thin Places, and this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. To keep everyone safe, these interviews were recorded remotely, usually on a cell phone in somebody's home, and so you might hear some sounds and signs of life, like a car backfiring, a dog walking through the room, usually my dog walking through the room. Thank you for your patience with that. Said Serafizade is the author of the memoir, When Skateboards Will Be Free, and the story collections, Brief Encounters with the Enemy, and American Estrangement, which is his most recent collection. He was born in Brooklyn and raised in Pittsburgh, and he's the son of an Iranian father and an American Jewish mother, both of whom were committed members of the Socialist Workers' Party, which provided the ideological and social backdrop of his young life. His conflicted relationship with his upbringing in the Socialist Workers' Party was the subject of his memoir, and also the era of his life he wanted to discuss on thresholds. Exiting some of the mythologies he grew up with, he says, was a necessary prerequisite to writing the kind of fiction he's now known for, one that tends to turn its focus away from groups of people to look closely at the particular terrors, tragedies, estrangements, and humor of individuals. Like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, he says, even in fiction, the memoirist doesn't fall far from the memoir.
1: I was raised um, in the uh, Socialist Workers' Party, by which I mean both of my parents were longtime committed members, and I grew up believing that the United States was going to have a working-class revolution at some point before I turned 18 years old. Um, And um, so I had a very, um, well, I mean, I was indoctrinated. I had a very deeply held belief. Um, Some of it still lingers to this day. But um, you know, in order to be a writer, I I needed to cross out of that mindset, that way of thinking, the way of thinking. Um, you know, I kind of grew up thinking in terms of categories a lot, and that doesn't that doesn't really aid you when you're trying to um, create fully fleshed out humans. Um I had to leave behind propaganda the idea that um, art really has one um main mission, and is that is to spread the gospel of communism. Um uh, so that was a threshold that I had to cross over. Now it didn't happen in one step. I mean as i just said i mean some of these some of these um feelings and beliefs and the emotional depth um that i felt then still linger to this day um my kind of uh what's the word when you um uh when you uh when you're brainwashed and then oh is it deprogramming that what's it called yeah yeah okay yes uh the the deprogramming um is a process. So um that's my first that's my first response to the prompt.
0: Can you tell me more you know, about how you learned those le- maybe if you're talking about deprogramming, can you tell me more about the process of programming pro- programming, how you were taught by your parents or other adults in your life about, I don't know, these categories or these ideals that you're talking about?
1: Jordan, it was everywhere. It was everywhere and it was unquestioned. It was um I mean, it began when I was a child, when I was, uh, you know, I mean, early memories of being four or five. You know, um, my mom, I was raised by my mom, not my dad. Both were members of the party. But um, I would, you know, I attended meetings with my mom. Um, I went out into the streets with her to disseminate uh, information. In our case, it was to sell the militant newspaper every every week on Saturday mornings. Um, so, so that's sort of like kind of the, the actions that I would take, but it was also just in the household. I mean, it was what my mom would talk about. Um, and you know, I liken it to any kind of religion. You don't uh, often, uh, as a child, you're not really questioning any of this. Um, this is the world. I was being taught how the world worked. Um, I would never question, my mother's take on it. I don't think children generally do that. And, um, so, I mean, it was there from the very beginning. Um, now here's the other, here's the, here's the other really important element. Uh, if I ever voiced dissent, it would be met with (laughs) a very, um, harsh and unforgiving, um, response from my mom. Uh, so I suppose, and by the way, I'm just kind of Putting this all together now as we talk but there's kind of like a two two paths one is the indoctrination and then the other the other path that's running parallel is to um is that you're taught not to question
0: Can um, you can you think yeah. of a time when you wanted to speak back to an idea and it didn't go that well
1: yeah i'll tell you exactly I've, I've um i wrote about this in my memoir uh such odd things when you're a child so here's here so my mother and i went to see a movie called The Four Seasons. I would have been 12 years old. Jordan, have you ever seen this movie, The Four Seasons with Alan Alda?
0: No. Yeah.
1: Um, if I may, I don't recommend it. I do not recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> I just happened to rewatch that about three weeks ago. and It's, uh, it's one of the worst movies <laughs> I think I've ever seen. That is beside the point. Um, I went with my mom. I was 12 years old. I believe it was the summer or spring of 1981. And I remember that because in August of 1981, I was going to take a trip to Cuba. Um, This is pre travel ban. Um, And, uh, you know, Cuba was, and Fidel Castro was uh, for the Socialist Workers Party. This was the model that we were following. We were uh, champions of Castro. So, okay, I was going to go there. I was going to take a tour. My mom wasn't going to come with me. Um, I was going to go with a tour group. Um, So we went to see the Four Seasons, and um, my mother hated it. And I remember her line after we saw it was, what do I care about those middle-class problems? And this would not have been an uncommon thing for my mom to say. And, um, I, for whatever reason at age 12, I had reached a limit and I, we got in an argument and I said to her, (laughs) this is, I said to her, I hope the United States bombs Cuba. Yes.
0: Wait, how did you get there? (laughs) How did you get there? Yeah. How did i get there that's the that's
1: my that's the that's the psychology of my childhood home how did i make that leap because i knew where i could hurt her i knew how to hurt her there's no worse thing to have said um well but i I mean jordan i was it was um it was because her comments about what do i care about those people with their middle class problems was part and parcel to the whole ideology of the socialist workers party we loathe, there are people we loathe, there are people we champion. Um and uh and so I was gonna hit her where it hurt, and I said I oh, the United States because that by the way, that was a concern. That would have been a concern of a of um and frankly not not that far-fetched a concern. The United States had already invaded Cuba once, so why not a second time? Um, but so there was always that threat hanging over us of imminent um, military action by the United States. So I went there. That was my nuclear option. And my mother hit the fucking ceiling. Screaming. Screaming. And um, I remember trying to walk it back by saying I was just joking. And she was screaming, don't you ever joke about that. And it was a horrible moment, um, as evidenced by the fact that I remember it very vividly to this day, lo these many years later. So, um, so listen, so I was learning something. I was learning something. And, and okay, I, that was an extreme version, and I was being um, purposefully provocative. But the lesson is we're not questioning. There's not going to be differences of, of opinion um there's one way to think about these things uh it's not nuanced there's good guys and bad guys there's black and there's white there's white and um and uh so you know those those moments of me um of of pushing back sort of with any sort of independent thought were very few and far between
0: but at 12 that was already clearly something that you were wanting to do and i'm curious to know where you felt like that that came from in you.
1: I think I knew, I must have known there was um, there was bullshit. That there was bullshit. I was being taught some bullshit. Um, that not everything that my mother was saying was true or accurate. Um, and also to say, and of course, some of the things she was saying was were true and accurate. Um uh yeah, I remember other moments where I think I thought this sounds ridiculous. Um, I think we put this under the category of cognitive dissonance, where you you know, you know something, but then you're also kind of rationalizing your way out of it, um, at least from my understanding of what cognitive dissonance is. So, um, uh, you know, and I'm also being challenged by people outside of the home because um, I know this is going to come as a huge surprise, but in Pittsburgh in the 70s and 80s, um working class revolution and communism were not actually that mainstream. So <laughs> so I was getting I was I would get pushback from people um and I didn't really have a very good argument um uh even on on basic things and uh so I must have had some of that in my head knowing how the wider society felt that we were outliers um I I couldn't grow up in this country without uh embodying some of that some of those um ideas and principles and um you know one other thing about it, when you're in such a small inculcated group you are always speaking to like-minded people and it's it's not a great way to hone a hone a very strong argument I don't know I mean you know one of the other things about the socialist workers party is that the lesson that I was learning was that dissent is something Descent is, I was taught dissent, but here's the deal. Des, if you teach someone dissent, then sometimes you can't control when the dissent happens. So I was taught dissent, but dissent also means that it can happen within a family too. And um, so maybe some of that was in my psychology as well.
0: You were saying that um, you kind of needed to move away from that worldview in order to become the writer that you are. And I'm curious which one came first, the desire to be a writer or the desire to move away from that worldview, or if they came at the same time?
1: That's a hell of a question. Um, uh, Okay, the short answer is I don't know. Uh, The longer answer is maybe they worked on parallel tracks. My mother also wanted to be um, a writer with never having any success at it so i saw that in her and that's actually also kind of a uh in terms of communism or at least the communism that we practiced would have been a fatal character flaw to have this sort of outside passion um so i i i would have seen that in her um and i think i would have also seen in the things that i read because my mother would give me things that were not, you know, it wasn't just communist propaganda, um, novels. Um, here, I'll just, I'll just throw out some examples. I mean, I, I, I would have read like Kafka. She would have given me Kafka. I remember her, she gave me, um, James Baldwin. She gave me Ralph Ellison, you know, there's a whole variety of things. And, um, you know, I didn't see sort of our, our ideology in those in those books maybe there's some overlap Um, uh, but uh so in some ways you know it's possible that she she kind of she was trying to give me some other tools for life that um because maybe she knew herself i should jump to the you know spoiler alert i mean my mother also left the socialist workers party when i was 16 years old so she would have had she she would have been questioning um and maybe i was picking up on some of that my father on the on the other hand has never left the socialist workers party so um so you know you know in some way she taught me dissent she taught me to question maybe it was covert um uh so i think i also knew that once i started to write like it would have, it, it doesn't work when you're trying when you have such an agenda like that um, it just doesn't work. I'm not saying you can't have any agenda. Cause I think I do have an agenda when I write, but I, uh, that kind of agenda that I'm going to try to convince people, change people's minds to a for a very specific end. Um, that just doesn't, that just doesn't work. So, um, and then writing my memoir, which was my first book, it was like, I had to really Um, and in some ways, if I'm going to be a writer, I have to really sort of, you know, well, first of all, I got to tell the truth about what I grew up with and that wasn't going to be pretty. And, um, uh, so, you know, there's, there's, there's that as well.
0: Did you feel like the memoir needed to be your first book as almost this, um, this passageway away from that those kinds of mythologies that you grew up with into a different way of interacting with art and the world only in
1: retrospect only in retrospect i think you're absolutely right also mythologies is a great word i wish i had used that earlier um uh you know frankly jordan i mean i didn't think of book number two at all i didn't think of book number two all i thought about was this is the book i'm gonna write um and um i had no idea what would come after it which which is possible that leads us into the second part of the threshold which is to move from from nonfiction into fiction um which was another thing i had to, i had to cross over but um uh i mean in retrospect though i do see it as being yes i needed to sort of make this declaration this very clean break um and and after that other things followed but going into it, I I was not at all as as uh, clear sighted as I'm making myself sound right now. All I could think of was was write this story. This is book number one. For all I knew, book number one was going to be the last book. Um, and 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 you know, I had to figure it out after that.
0: I wanted to ask you about that time after your first book, your memoir came out, and what your thinking process was like about what you wanted to do next you moved into fiction as you were just saying how was was that a scary time was it an exciting time what was going on then
1: it was it was a uh it was a floundering time it was a um what the hell do i do next time um it was i am at a loss some of it Some of it has got to be because, uh, you know, I mean, my memoir, I, I, you know, I was doing a lot in that insofar as I was really, um, you know, an honest, frank depiction of my childhood and my parents. Um, My dad did not take kindly to the book, which means that I have not spoken to him since it came out so many years ago. Um, so, so all of that to say is a lot of energy, emotional energy, physical energy went into writing it. I, I, I was not thinking of any of of a life after that. And then when I got done with it, I said, okay, what do I do now? And I thought, so am I going to be somebody who writes, will I write another memoir? Am I going to write a memoir about the memoir? Um, is that my life? Uh, I hadn't really ever written fiction before I'd written one story. Um, listen, look, le- le- let me be real. I mean, I, I, had I had tried fiction and I had, I had actually had one story pre memoir that had been published in the Paris review, but then I had let that go. I didn't think about it again. That wasn't what the thing I did. And then when I was done, I said, I got to figure something else out. Um, uh, maybe I can write essays and, which I do, but um, also just the idea that am I, am I gonna be the central character again of something? So I just, I, Jordan, I had, to, I had to give it a shot and I just started to write, um, I, I started to write stories.
0: The fiction that you've gone on to write since that memoir um, has its own mythology that you have sort of. I don't know. What's the question I'm trying to ask? I'm trying to. I think I'm trying to ask a question about how you have thought about how you have sort of continued to work out ideological alternatives to what you were raised with in your writing, especially in your fiction
1: you said it you said it um, yes these are these are uh responses to the ideology um first of all i mean I, I think in every story i've ever written yeah i would say this in every story i've ever written there's there's uh, there's a political element if not the politics um being at the forefront. Um, and, and politics, you know, I mean, society, uh, my characters don't, they're not, um, in vacuums, but here's, okay, but here's the difference. So here's the difference because I'm also looking at micro stuff too. I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do both. I'm trying to look at, at individuals and how they function within a society. Um, I'm not, I don't want all one or all the other. And I grew up with all one that was, we don't care about the individual. That's not, we're not, that's not our concern. Our, we, we are macro. We're macro. We're Marxists. We're thinking big. Um, we listen, even our, even the language masses always, that was our term. We talked, in, we talked about the masses. The masses are all this thing. It's such an easy way to think. And the problem is, is that it's not true. It's just not true. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it, there's so many, gradation so um so that's coming out in my stories um uh
0: when you say that's not true what do you what do you mean um because we would say
1: the masses believe this it's there it was always we 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 felt you know I even hate saying we because I well I guess it was we I was part of it but what I was taught was there are that that masses by, by which I mean millions and millions of people have a specific, um, it's not even a trait. It's like they are all thinking the same things and they all need the same things. Um, it's, it's up to us to give it to them. We're going to provide them with the answers. Um, so a lot of feeling, all of the, the ideas were always like the masses are rising up. The masses are doing this. The masses believe that. And when we've got into, if you look, I'm going back to the literature my mother would give me, whether it was James Baldwin or Franz Kafka, you're looking at things of how individuals, actually, these are two great examples because they also are doing micro and macro. They're talking about individuals within a, a society and it's not one or the other. Um, so so they um yeah, and I mean their individuals are complicated, they're not always good, they're not always perfect, they're not necessarily always likable, um, they're contradictory. So uh so I'm speaking to some of that in, in the fiction. I'm speaking to some of that. Or I'm or I'm working against I'm. it's weird. Jordan, I'm working, I'm doing two things. I'm actually working in tandem with the socialist workers party and the idea of society being a very important aspect and and also for the record they don't own that thought i mean that's a concept that's not just specific to the socialist workers party but the idea that politics society are are incredible forces that act upon us but also that we are individuals within that relationship love aspiration small moments those things are not necessarily socialist workers' party things
0: I love what you're talking about in terms of the trying to find the balance between representing like the people or the masses yeah. and individuals within that mass who may i'm I'm like so stuck on this I, this language like the people want because I think um so much of your fiction, especially this collection, this new collection, feels like we dwell a lot with people who don't know what they want or are having a hard time figuring out how they're supposed to exist in relation to other people, whether that's in intimate relationships or in social relationships. Um, And I, I am curious why estrangement, which is of course in the title of the book, felt to you like an American estrangement, felt like the totem that you wanted to pursue here
1: i suppose that that's um a, an example of um where the memoir and i here i'm going to coin a phrase i don't know if this is, <laughs> the memoirist doesn't fall far from the memoir um <laughs> um because the, you know it's a lot of it's reflecting my own experience and my own sense of myself in this country which has been for both external and internal re- reasons i have i have been a pariah an outcast um so again it's it's i feel like the operative phrase in that it's it's external and it's internal uh things acting upon me but then also my worldview being shaped by um my own personal psychology so uh, you know the 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 final story which is called uh, a beginner's guide to estrangement and then i used a version of that for the title american estrangement is probably most closely um related to who i am it's a, this is a good example of things being invented i mean i didn't i never went to iran to reconnect with my long lost father that's that's the fictional part I didn't change my name. That's the fictional part. But there's the the sort of the heartbeat of the story is true and accurate of someone feeling, I suppose, unmoored ethnically. Um, also, literally the estrangement from their father, which is true for me as well. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I thought when I looked at the collection as a whole, I, I, I felt like I could see the the themes within it of people. And I, and that's really the only one where it's an overt, um, any sort of overt reference to race or ethnicity. But there was still a sense of estrangement from all these characters throughout it, um, whether it be in the workplace, even medical, like there's a, a couple, one character who needs sort of medical uh, help, um, and um, uh, so, you know, I was seeing that as something that was reflective of both what I had experienced and then actually, oh, here's the work that I've produced. Um, not intent, not actually entirely conscious when I first set out with this book, but it, it kind of took shape towards the end.
0: Yeah, which which brings me to something else that I wanted to ask you, which was about the process of putting this collection together. Did it begin uh, with with one or two stories that, and then you expanded from there? Or did you really have a sense of its architecture from the beginning?
1: Um, I want to use another phrase. I'm going to coin another, um, what, what's the, uh, every journey begins with a first step. Is that right? It's like every collection begins with a first story. So I just wrote a story. Um, the first story actually in the collection, I wrote back in 2014. Uh, it's called, that one's called last meal at whole foods. And so there was that. And then, um, you know, here's the thing, the themes that appear in the book are embedded in me. So it's not, it's not something that I have to really consciously, um, sort of set out to do or force myself to do or to adhere to something. This is what comes naturally to me. Um, so, uh, you know, and that's actually a good example. This, perfect example of the idea of it's about a mother uh, and her son and the mother is dying. And it's also about their life in a city together and how that city has impacted them. Um, so um, but I'm losing, I'm losing the thread. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, I, I can get it back. I can get it back. Oh, because the, the question was about do I set out to do that? Is that right? Or have, have I lost it?
0: I mean, I do, I do want to know if you set out to do that. I was also, the question had been about like the extent to which you had an overarching sense of architecture oh, for the collection. Got
1: you. Got you. That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. No, no. I mean,
1: as I was saying, it's sort of embedded in me.
0: The only thing that I
1: have a sense of is that when I write one story, then the next story, I try to, I, I try to tackle something different. So I'm not, the next story will not be about a mother and, and the son um uh that it's like one story informs the next of course when you get to collection time how they're put together is a whole different animal um but uh but no it it's it's kind of just like this is jordan you know what it's my life's work <laughs> i want to sound lofty but it's true it's my life's work i mean it's sort of this is where the socialist workers party still lives in me which is do not lose sight of politics, society, economy. And I guess that's the pact I've made. Um, And the only thing that I've thrown in there is the idea of the individual and their complications.
0: Do you feel like your relationship or your ideas about politics, society, and the economy are fundamentally opposed to the ones or even fundamentally different than the ones that you learned as a child? Or is it simply about Bringing the individual To the foreground
1: Yeah No, not fundamentally opposed Not fundamentally opposed so, Okay, one thing is There's a part of me That will always dream of the revolution That it will always be a believer I don't know if that's ever going to go away Maybe it shouldn't go away But the um, Sort of the scientific uh Communism that I grew up with was I, you know, these this is inevitable, this is what's gonna happen, et cetera, et cetera. That I have dispensed with. But the idea that there are classes, some people are getting fucked over, those seem to be um hard and fast truths. Um the thing is, is I try to see this is this is where I, I will diverge, is that I try to uh, I need to see everyone as a human. So um, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, really, in my writing. But, yeah,
0: I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of bosses in the stories. Um, there's the boss who makes the uh, assistant type every letter every oh, memo right. on the typewriter even though there's a <laughs> computer right there i thought that was such that's a right. hilarious detail that's right that's right
1: um and also there's also the boss th- there's the person the, there's the um the real estate developer but it's the 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 narrator is the son so the son actually has a tie to um as as i would have said as growing up a capitalist so i'm actually trying to see it from an alternate point of view, someone within a different kind of family. Um, so I, I, I think really the answer is, is that there's, there's a lot of things that overlap. And then there are times when they diverge on a very significant um, level and direction. There's also the example, there's a story in there called Scenic Route, where the couple is driving across the United States. And this came back to something you mentioned earlier, which is not everybody's always terribly aware of what the hell's going on and um and and this particular character kind of doesn't really see that society has changed you need to have sort of the equivalent of a visa to go from state to state his girlfriend is the one who's like look how fucked up this is he in a way is going what 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 what's the problem you're overreacting um that's actually so the girlfriend is actually would be would be a version of me being in the socialist workers party and the uh the narrator the first person narrator is sort of the clueless one he's the masses that we're trying to bring enlightenment to it's it's to my great pleasure that i embodied quote-unquote embodied him i made him the the first person narrator that's who we're following we're in sort of his psychology um it's kind of a joy to be able to 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 now be the the quote-unquote clueless one one of the most con- more condescending aspects of of growing up the way i did was that we thought we had all the answers and we just needed to bring you know and we had to somehow convey it to to use the word that we've been using in the masses
0: well it's interesting because in that story he the, the narrator is definitely seems to be overlooking or maybe just underemphasizing to himself some of the seriousness of this sort of social political landscape that he lives in, but it's not as though the girlfriend character seems to be so profoundly wise. She, to me, when I was reading her, she also read to me foolish in many ways. Um, but she is right. You know, she is sort of vindicated at the end. Um, because like spoiler alert, there is this terrible, uh, there's this threatening, uh, interaction with strangers on a highway that kind of bear out what she's been saying the whole time, which is things are not okay, things are not okay. Um, nevertheless, her her sort of yoga going slower maxims are not the solution to the problem that she's been <laughs> insisting exists. So it really felt to me like this encapsulation of the way that like they're both kind of unable to see the situation that they're in and very unable to see each other despite being in an intimate relationship.
1: Well shit you just that's a that's a great encapsulation of that story I can't argue you're right you're right she has her own blind spots as well um I, I think when it comes to being able to recognize the 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 literal and figurative landscape she has much more awareness but yeah i I she does have the the there's a new agey element to her that's um, undergird some of what she says uh i I like, I like doing that. I also feel like, well, I guess think, first of all, I feel like, isn't that how we all are Jordan? I mean, aren't we all just a little bit clueless (laughs) somewhere between a little bit and a lot clueless? Yeah. I, 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 I get, um, I get, and, and I mean, again, childhood, I, I become dubious when someone purports to have all the answers And I must have seen that my mother was a version of having all the answers and also being clueless. I got another example that just came to me. Um, It's another sort of moment from childhood where I write about this in my memoir, but um, uh, the, the boss, here we go, the boss at the grocery store I worked in wanted to fire me. I was 16 years old. I was working as a bagger. And this is in Pittsburgh. Um, and, uh, my mom screamed, screamed at me that he was going he wanted to fire me because he thought I was, I was Arab. It was, um, I remember waking up from my morning shift. It must, it was like a Saturday, 7am and she's in the living room and she's just, you know, as if she hadn't slept the night before and just screaming that he thinks I'm an Arab. And, uh. I think I knew she was full of shit. I think I knew she was full of shit.
0: Why was he firing you in your mind?
1: Because I was double bagging. (laughs) We were not allowed to double bag. And he had told me not to double bag. And then I double bagged. And listen, these are important things, Jordan. Do not double bag. (laughs) That's so
0: funny because, I mean, like, this is actually a story about the boss being cheap right about like trying to extract as much profit from as little resource as possible which would is hilariously in tune with what your your mother was about that's right that's right hey it's also it's also about
1: someone being a rebel is this the battle you want to fight dude told you not to double bag why are you still double bag? like like what I suppose that's 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 the uh, revolutionary in me. I'll show him, I'll show I'll show him. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna fight the power here. I'm double bagging. <laughs> so what was in my psychology for wanting to do that? I mean, you know what's that about? Where's that coming from?
0: What did your mother do after she left the party?
1: Well, she tried to be a writer. She tried to be a writer to no avail. Um, She, she did a lot of volunteer work. She, um, she read at um, at the time it was called the library for the blind in Pittsburgh. And she met with somebody, I think on a weekly basis, and she would read to him. Um, So there was still, you know, she still wanted, you know, she was still doing good. She was still doing good. Um, honestly, probably in a more effective way than what she had before. She didn't become apathetic. She didn't become apathetic. She was still concerned about the world and society. Um, and, you know, the thing she said when she was leaving the party was, um, A lot of it was that she would finally have time for herself because the party took up so much time and she was going to be able to lead, you know, lead a different kind of life, one that was more based on what she desired. I think we're going back to the idea of the individual, the individual not being subsumed by something greater, which she had allowed to have happened. And and then, you know, after almost 20 years. She decided enough was enough and had and really had the strength to be able to to leave. It's not an easy thing to leave something that's cult cult like. If not, if not, in fact, a cult, Uh, you're going to lose everybody that you were close with. Point, you know, that's that's that comes with the territory. There's not going to you're not really going to be maintaining these relationships. And these people were a lot of them were like family to us and friends.
0: So were you both sort of starting over after that?
1: Yeah, must have absolutely had to have been her much more, um, much more clear, her starting over much more clear, her rebirth for me. Um, yeah, it must, yeah, the same for me. Sure. Sure. um, you know, I didn't have it wasn't as big a uh, change for me because I wasn't actually a member of the party. So it didn't change sort of like the the material facts of my my day to day life. Um So but yeah, I mean, listen, when we talk about psych- psychologically, it would have been it would have been. Yes, Jordan, the answer is yes. I mean, it, psychologically, I would have started over because it would have been like, well, what the hell was this then for the last for the first 16 of years of my life? This is what we were doing this is what i believe now my mom's basically saying oh never mind okay so what what is it now so what was all that that we just did that we just sacrificed everything for and and now what are we saying about the world not that bad still bad we don't give a shit like so what is what's the what's the ideology what's the philosophy um do I even need an ideology and a philosophy? Does one, one does does one live their life with that? Is that is that a prerequisite to living a life, or can you live a life differently? Do you do you have to have that? Um, do you have to have sort of this this way to see the world, or can you see it sort of independently?
0: How, what answer did you come to? That's a big question.
1: I'm still coming to the answer. I'm still. I mean, I think I think the. Sorry, you said what answer did that. That's funny. That's a Freudian slip. I said I'm. So, um, uh, I'm still coming to the answer, but I think also the answer was is within the question. I think the question, the answer is to to be questioning this. Can you question these things? Um, I think the answer for me is no. I don't need that. Whether or not I can, I can actually live without it is another issue but i think the 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 real it, it, the real thing i discovered first of all my mother was fine she was able to leave the party she she was fine i was fine i you know it's come in waves i've 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 distanced myself from a lot of the things i grew up with um so i think the answer for me is no i don't need it but i'm always remarking i'm always marveling at how there are still things i adhere to that i don't realize i am um, and then I go, oh, my God, that's right. That's still a holdover from something that I grew up with.
0: Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. I'm Jordan Kistner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kistner. We'll see you next week.